This month on the Intrepod, two very different political marches took place in London this month. I was there to find out why the people took to the streets. Well, it's certainly been a tumultuous week for my native UK. Now we finally have a Brexit deal, for better or for worse. But if the game was to make exactly no one happy, I have to say the government's knocked it out of the park. I mean, for Remainers, it's basically just a worse version of what we already had. But I have to tell you, the the two-year transition period means leavers are the angriest, and I know this firsthand. I went to the Brexit betrayal march to find out more. I arrived pretty early at the March's assembly point in Park Lane, where you heard the chanting just now. As, as you can hear, it was pretty calm to start off with, and I took the chance to speak to some of the people there about why they were marching. We're fighting for our democracy and our sovereignty, not racist or anything like that. I'm here for SOS, and I want to save our sovereignty. That's what SOS means to me. I've come out to just support the country and to try and get out of the EU. That's, the, that's my main reason. So, yeah, we see the normal emphasis on sovereignty, you know, taking back control and the like. It should also go without saying that most of them weren't big fans of the Prime Minister or her new Brexit deal. We should have never had a Remainer leading leading Brexit. She, it's biased right from the start. So, it's in my eyes, it's skewed. It's completely skewed right from the start. We should never, ever have allowed a Remainer onto the doorsteps of number 10. OK, I've heard this idea that Theresa May, who, granted, did campaign for Remain during the build-up to the referendum, is colluding with the EU to deliberately sabotage the withdrawal process. I'll believe that when there's some evidence for it. And also, love or loathe, May did win a leadership contest from her own party, which for now has a democratic mandate. If these gentlemen had such issue with a Remainer leading party, then perhaps they should blame Boris Johnson for refusing to run for leadership, or Nigel Farage for quitting as UKIP leader after the referendum, or Andrea Leadsom for being embarrassing in an interview before ingratiously pulling out. It's not Remainer's fault that all their biggest cheerleaders deserted them because they didn't want to take responsibility for what they'd created. I mean, also, I don't like the idea that winning a single-issue referendum should give your side complete control of who sits in number 10. I mean, clearly subverting the democratic process isn't a problem when it suits you. Every year, for the last 10 years, it's getting more cutthroat, harder and harder and harder for me to support my four kids. And, and, and that's it. For the, that's what's got me out of today. OK, so hearing this, how can you not sympathise with what he's saying? I mean, this guy is a self-employed painter and decorator and... I can speak from personal experience that all job markets everywhere have gotten tougher in the last 10 years. But we've been an EU member state for more than 10 years, so I'm not really sold on this as a reason to leave the European Union. Although, on the other hand, we have had Conservative government for eight of those 10 years, so make of that what you will. So, and that is definitely, that is 100% due to immigration and open borders. Someone maybe like me, but with a lot of um, immigrant labour, that he can just win the job, make his money off it, and just put them in to knock it out, and then they wonder why I'm getting the call to come in and sort out. Okay, I'm getting tired of saying this at this point, but we do not have open borders. The UK retains full border and passport checks, even for EU nationals, and the UK government has, and has always had, full control of immigration policy. This is because, contrary to what the Leave campaign literature claimed during the referendum build-up, we didn't sign up to the Schengen Treaty. Leaving the EU will not make all of this guy's competition disappear. And in his own words, the blame lies with local employers who wage scalp immigrant labour rather than the immigrants themselves. I mean, do you think they wouldn't take more pay if they could? And also, if immigrants do such shoddy work that he's always getting the call to come in and fix it, then surely he's killing a golden goose by getting rid of them. I mean, you guys have heard of Schrodinger's immigrants. 
right? Whereas if you can't see an immigrant, he has to be simultaneously living off welfare and stealing your job. Well, and this is a new level of Schrodinger, where he's simultaneously stealing all the work in your area, but also keeping you in work through his incompetence. There's no thought gone into how you're going to naturalise these people. And that I think that's the plan. They're not going to. They're going to allow division. They're going to, they're, they're not, they haven't. They're not, you know, the only thing, the only question, answer they've got to how you're going to naturalise these people is shut up or you're racist. And that's, I, I've, I've grown up in Luton, multicultural society. I've got black friends. I've got white, um, you know, my sister goes out with, uh, my sister goes out with a half Muslim, Muslim black, and we talk about this all the time. I mean, I'm sure this is nothing that any of you haven't heard before, but there is one thing here that I found quite interesting. I mean, he referred to his acquaintance as half Muslim. Like, not half Pakistani, not half Iranian, not half Somali, but half Muslim. I mean, in my experience, a lot of people who get pulled up on anti-Muslim bigotry will say, well, Islam is a religion, not a race. But this really shows how tied up with race people's perceptions of Islam are, that you can describe someone as half Muslim. I mean, in that case, I was raised by a Christian and atheist, so can I put down mixed race on my next job application? George Soros pouring in £400,000 alone will just be locked into what I consider as a communist superstate. New World Order. George Soros, communist superstate. I mean, this is really nothing more than a sad picture of how you can end up when you get too far down the conspiracy rabbit hole. I mean, yes, George Soros did donate £400,000 to pro-EU advocacy group Best for Britain. And this was £400,000 out of a total initial budget of just under £3 million. I mean, British businessman Lord Sainsbury also made a personal contribution of £4 million to the Remain campaign during the referendum, but for some reason we only ever seem to hear about Soros. I mean, I really just weep for you when you're ready to believe that one of the most successful capitalists in the world, who fled communist Hungary as a child, is secretly funneling money to keep the UK in a communist superstate. I mean, this is just sad, really. Yeah, so um, I walked with the protesters for the duration of the march. I mean, it's quite a chill atmosphere. They were nice to me, and there wasn't any violence that I could see, at least. At least until we reached the main stage, and the day's musical entertainment started. I, like many liberals, have often been accused of looking to be offended in my worldview, but I'm also passionate about music, and in particular the understated genius of Jeff Buckley. And in this respect, this was the only thing I heard that day that genuinely offended me. I mean, no no one was particularly paying attention, so I didn't know what it achieved, apart from making me wonder whether Buckley or Leonard Cohen was spinning faster in his grave. Anyway, the first speaker was UKIP leader Gerard Batten, one of many UKIP bigwigs to take the stage that day. For Mrs May to devise a plan with the European Commission whereby, whereby the whole process could be impeded and delayed for as long as possible and then made to look so difficult that Britain, that the Brexit referendum decision would eventually be overturned. And here we find out where the Theresa Remainer conspiracy comes from. I mean, just to clarify, out of 945 Acts of Parliament passed between 1993 and 2014, 231 were implementations of EU regulations. I mean, undoing and renegotiating each of these laws, not to mention the directives, is not an easy thing to do. Unless you're pushing for a no-deal Brexit, which Batten pretty much did without ever saying the words no-deal. Yeah, but I suppose you've got to admire his brass neck for still pushing the Brexit is easy line in 2018. Oh my god. I have 
said consistently for 25 years that the only way we'll lead is by means of unilateral and unconditional withdrawal. A patriotic government that would not, that wanted to leave the European Union would not have asked the EU how it can do it. It would have told them how it's going to happen. Okay, so Batten here is advocating a unilateral withdrawal where we simply dictate the terms of our departure and leave. Again, this is only practically possible in a no-deal scenario. I mean, it seems like I'm stating the obvious here, but that's not how deals work. You don't quit a sports club and insist on still using the pool. And it doesn't help that two minutes later he said this. And it's in the interest of the European Union to reach an accommodation with us. So this is the first of a couple of times that Mr. Batten contradicts himself in his speech. Uh, On the one hand, the only way we'll leave is through unilateral withdrawal. On the other hand, it's in the EU's interest to reach an accommodation with the UK, and they should do so. I think he really needs to make up his mind about whether he actually wants no deal or not. Now we're on to contradiction number two. We have a withdrawal agreement with the worst possible terms. Next week, Parliament is likely to vote against Mrs May's deal. Even worse terms for a new deal or find a way of reversing the decision of the referendum altogether. So did you miss that? Uh, He said that the PM's deal already has, I quote, the worst possible terms before saying they might go on to find even worse terms. I mean, this is because he doesn't want to price his party out of the pessimism market. After all, if there's no threat of an even worse deal, then what do we need UKIP for? Uh, Next up was immigration spokesman Paul First of all... Heads of state from around the globe are going to descend on Marrakesh to sign up to the Global Compact for Safe, Orderly and Okay, I'll level with you. Oakley's speech was pretty boring for the most part and I zoned out for most of it. I only included that clip because of the cheer at the end. Basically, it was caused by some idiot climbing onto a bus shelter to try and burn an EU flag, and when it failed to set a light, that prompted him to desperately douse it with lighter fluid, which in turn didn't work. That's what they're cheering, but on the recording, it sounds like the crowd are cheering a UN compact to promote the welfare of immigrants, so I decided to have that in because it makes me happy. Migration is a global reality, and it makes sense to have a global approach. Well, that came from the Immigration Minister of Canada under Justin Trudeau. His name is Ahmed Hassan. It's not racist or anything like that. Okay, yeah, so apart from the guy next to me frothing at the mouth at the mention of Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, there are a couple of things to mention. Firstly, the guy's name is Ahmed Hussein, not Ahmed Hassan. Uh, He was born in Somalia, but he's a naturalised Canadian citizen. And also consider the tone with which he says the Arabi sounding name and the reaction to it from the crowd. Yet there's definitely no racist element here, no sir. Beware, Ramonas, for our strength and our courage comes from the example of the Terminator. We can't be bargained with. We can't be reasoned with. We don't feel pity or remorse or fear. And we absolutely will not stop, ever. 
I mean, it's a fittingly dated reference, but I mean, also it's actually quite appropriate because, you know, the Terminator goes back in time to prevent a better future for everyone, which is pretty good metaphor for Brexit in general, I think. But I mean, I'm sure this prime cutlet of cringe sounded really intimidating in his head. I mean, well, at least there was one thing he got right. We can't be reasoned with. But anyway, it was now time for the star of the show, UKIP's newest advisor. seems to me like Tommy Robinson was the reason most of the crowd were there. During the march, spontaneous chanting of his name broke out at regular intervals. No one was chanting Jared Batten's name, and definitely no one was chanting Nigel Farage's name. In fact... I also want to say a thank you. A thank you to UKIP. A thank you to Jared Batten. A thank you to Nigel Farage. A thank you... I mean, that alone should tell you how much UKIP have changed in the last year. I mean, Nigel Farage, for his faults, forbade former members of the far-right British National Party and English Defence League from signing up. Now the former leader of the EDL is a special advisor on rape gangs, just Muslim ones, presumably, to the party. How even lower the low have fallen, I guess. (laughs) And speaking of UKIP, they didn't shy away from flying their flag at the rally. The political class will only pay attention when they start losing votes. Help us to take their votes away. I know everyone's on their phones videoing, but I'd like as many of you as possible to get your phone out. It's £4 a month. It's the price of a beer. The price of a beer in London, anyway. (laughs) And join through the membership with you. So yeah, at this point, the Brexit betrayal march pretty much became a straight-up UKIP recruitment drive. So take any claims of the rally having cross-party support with a mountain of salt. Although, for my money, I didn't see many people around me pulling out their phones. <laughs> Although, things went a bit wrong when Robinson himself tried to sign up. So I'd pre-put my bank details in. Declined! <laughs> Jared, that's something you're going to have to sort out, mate. This is absolutely delicious. I like to think that on his way out of UKIP headquarters, Farage bribed whoever's in charge of the membership role to keep Robinson out. Or perhaps this was the straw that broke their website's back. You know, it finally reconsidered its ethical position in the world and, on mature reflection, deleted itself. And I believe for too long we've looked across Europe. For too long I've got excited about the elections in Sweden or in France or in Holland. We watch the populist parties grow. We watch across Europe the election in Austria, the election in Italy. And for too long we get excited about other countries... It's our turn, and it's our time, and this country is ready. This, to me, is where his speech gets interesting. I mean, up until then, he had been just saying the usual rehearsed Brexit talking points. But this is what we should be listening to. Firstly, it should completely destroy any illusions whatsoever about any significant left-wing presence in the Brexit movement. They don't talk about the European left-wing parties at these things. Secondly, it shows the extent to which the international far-right are trying to make inroads into the UK. I mean, Tommy Robinson has largely been bankrolled by a number of US right-wing organisations, including the Middle East Forum. We are seeing so-called populist parties rise in popularity all over Europe, and many of the marchers wore the yellow jackets that we saw during the riots in France. And there was also the bit where Tommy, who was invited to Parliament by Lord Pearson uh, this year, made clear his intention to break into mainstream politics. 
the House of Lords with Lord Pearson and I saw the reaction and I saw MPs whilst under parliamentary privilege saying disgraceful lies about me. I sat for the first time and thought, one day I'll be sitting in there amongst you. Becoming the establishment, I guess. <laughs> uh, I asked a couple of Swedish tourists what they thought of the march. Uh, it looks very dramatic, I would say. Yeah. Um, we have a similar party in Sweden that has got a lot of a lot of attention uh, for like the same type of yeah, the same sake, and yeah. it's kind of hectic in Sweden as well right now. So yeah. So yeah, this is happening all over Europe. And if you want more evidence of the far-right presence at this march, you really need to look at who were there. We're a generational identity, and we're marching to support the democratic vote of the British people. For those of you who haven't heard of generation identity, they describe themselves as a pan-European, identitarian, patriotic movement. It really rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? But I think they only call themselves identitarian because too many people realise what ethno-nationalist actually meant. Uh, leader Martin Selner has spoken of the need to preserve ethno-cultural identity. In reality, they are a deeply racist movement who seek ethnic segregation by any means necessary. They're advocates of the Great Replacement Conspiracy Theory, which claims white people are becoming a minority in European countries. They've tried to block refugee boats, leaving people to drown at sea, and they've also recruited in the UK, sending their followers to military-style training camps in Europe. I mean, does that sound familiar to anyone else? I mean, I also hope no one's buying this hogwash about standing up for the democratic vote. I mean, Vladimir Putin said the same thing a couple of days ago. People inherently opposed to democracy don't get to cast themselves as its guardians. So all I'm saying is, for a march whose organisers have claimed that it was not a march for the far right, there were a lot of far right activists there. It's not guilt by association to point out that you don't attract extremists to your cause unless it appeals to them. And for the record, I don't think UKIP and Tommy Robinson are threats to our civic life right now. There were 3,000 people at the march at the most, though Robinson, of course, is now trying to claim there were more. Uh, they were also met by a counter-demonstration, which left-wing group Momentum have claimed featured over 15,000 people. I mean, take that with a pinch of salt, because others at the rally have claimed it was more like 8,000, but that's still more than twice the numbers of the pro-Brexit marches. Also, uh, bringing on Robinson has thrown UKIP into a storm of infighting, uh, beyond Farage's resignation. I mean, a lot of Batten's speech was whinging about facing opposition from UKIP MEPs. But if they do manage to unite under their new position, there is certainly a new base waiting for them in the case of a general election. And at the end, the rally closed with a mass sing-along of what else but rule Britannia, because Brexit is not an exercise in nostalgia for empire. Immigration, like border. The establishment. The establishment. The entire establishment. The international establishment. The establishment. The establishment. Stick chop. Political establishment. Sovereignty. 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 A sovereign nation. George Soros. A few days later, I went to another march entirely, with different aims, different demographics, and a totally contrasting message. join us on what is a cold December evening. We really, really appreciate it. Um, we all know why we're here, but just to, to reiterate that, we've come to stand in solidarity with the brave Stansted 15. Um, Basically, the Stansted 15 are a group of pro-migrant activists who broke into an airfield at Stansted Airport 
and chained themselves to a chartered deportation flight on the 20th of March last year. Uh, this flight contained a number of undocumented migrants, mostly from Africa. Uh, the activists claim they would have faced prison sentences or worse if they'd been returned to their home countries for nothing more than their sexuality in some cases. Uh, so the 15 did prevent the plane from leaving. Uh, Ruth Potts, one of the activists, claimed they had endangered no one by their actions. The government charged us with endangering an airport, but our actions didn't put anyone or anything in danger. Not at all. The 15 have now been found guilty of an aviation offence. This verdict is the result of 10 weeks of courtroom deliberations. A spokesman for the Crown Prosecution Service told me that the 15 were prosecuted under the Aviation and Maritime Security Act 1990, Section 12B. And I quote, It is an offence for any person by means of any device, substance or weapon to unlawfully and intentionally disrupt the services of the airdrome. Uh, The maximum sentence for this offence is life in prison. I mean, Amnesty International have already condemned the ruling and a spokesman for the organisation was present at the rally. As Anna said, Amnesty watched the trial proceedings daily. In response to yesterday's news, we said, this is a crushing blow for human rights in the UK. It's common sense that non-violent activism is not terror-related activity. Common sense must prevail. Laura Clayson, who was the first of the 15 to speak, also described the law they'd been convicted under as a terror law. We are guilty of nothing more than intervening to prevent harm. The real crime is the government's brutal, inhumane and barely legal deportation flights and the unprecedented use of terror law to stop peaceful protests. Again, the spokesman for the Crown Prosecution Service directly contradicted this when I spoke to them, saying simply, it's not a terror law. Uh, This is technically true, as the wording doesn't mention terrorism, but this legislation was drafted in response to the Lockerbie bombing in 1990, and has only been used once since to prosecute a man who tried to fly a helicopter into an air traffic control tower. So, even if the use of this law to prosecute offenders has a precedent, the use of this clause specifying disruption rather than endangerment is unprecedented. It's basically the prosecution admitting that the activists didn't actually put anyone in danger, but they found another reason to charge them anyway. Uh, I spoke to Ali Tamlin, one of the activists, about the experience of being on trial. It's been really boring, actually. It's been sitting around in a courtroom, listening to prosecutions slate us and not being able to speak. But it's also been amazing because every day there's been people in the do- uh, in the public galleries there to support us. So many people coming with food and any kind of support. It's been amazing. Ali also put forward his views on peaceful civil disobedience. There's a long history in this country and it's enshrined in so many judgments that there there is a tradition of breaking the law for a higher justice and when people's lives are at risk you have to break the law if if that's the only thing you can do to save those lives and stop that flight from taking off i'm happy to break that law i personally find it hard to disagree i mean non-violent protest has been an enormous vehicle for change in the uk and remains one of our democratic rights and considering that UK law is largely precedent-based rather than codified, this sets a terrible example for freedom of speech in the UK. I mean, to be clear, I'm not arguing that the 15 shouldn't have been prosecuted at all for their actions. They're still probably breaking and entering and certainly trespassing. Uh, what's more, they probably undertook the protest knowing they'd face prosecution of some kind. But the use of this law in particular, and a specific clause within it, while maybe not a terror law, but certainly terror-related, Uh, stinks of deterrent to me rather than justice. They're trying to make sure that no one ever does this again. 
Uh, it's bizarre that during our preoccupation with Brexit and the complete weaponization of democracy by all sides, tangible threats to our democratic rights are going underreported. We should all keep our eyes and ears open. So, to part, I recommend you all keep a very close eye on the proceedings of the Gatwick drone debacle, and we'll see if they pull out the Aviation and Maritime Services Act then. That's all from the Intrepod today. You can follow me on Twitter at at Bragandars, like the ice cream with two Gs, and I'll see you next time.